You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. We are, uh, we are in Ephesians 2, if you want to go there today, and we're just going to have a, a conversation, kind of a family talk. Um, yeah, um, you know, originally, uh, Timothy um, and I were talking about this topic, and there was a, a local pastor that Timothy has been connecting with, if you've been following our devotions, that Timothy's spoken with um, earlier on in the months of May and June, just about what what does unity in the church look like, and how does a, a, a mixed, multi-ethnic family pursue Jesus together with a fellow pastor here in town, and it just so happened because of COVID uh, that they were short in numbers uh, in terms of of being able to have kind of that, that outside uh, pastor uh, person kind of come in. And that's really where I think the Lord just opened the door for this conversation is having a family member just kind of talk. And, and I made sure to just speak with Darrell. We had a few good conversations on the phone just to see, you know, is this what the Lord would be doing for us to have this conversation? But I just think it's so relevant and helpful for us to just kind of open this um, conversation up. Um, so a little bit uh, of, of my story and experience um, uh, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, Terrell, but um, when I was in college uh, in my junior year, uh, we used to have a, a worship night on Thursday nights in my dorm called Pitchy and Passionate. Um, and uh, I, was, I was both of those things. We sang a lot of Shane and Shane back then, if you guys know what I'm talking about, in the early O's. And uh, sometimes there's five to seven people there. Uh, not, a, not really a register you want to pick if you're moderately tone deaf, uh, singing Shane and Shane songs. And... Um, my friend, uh, Josh Sutton, who uh, did his undergraduate in ballet and then did his graduate degree in law, uh, was always one of the faithful people that was there. Josh was um, from Atlanta. And, and I remember one time, kind of in the later hours of the night, we began to start the conversation that we're about to have about race in the church, um, and particularly about uh, the racial dynamic between whites and blacks um, in the church and in the world. And I just remember um, him uh, opening up his heart and some of his story in, in a way that I'd never really experienced before to help me understand uh, some of the ways uh, that racism still still exists um, in in current modern society. And I'll be I'll be frank and honest, you know, I think up until that conversation, I had thought of racism in the context of the history books of, of the old Jim Crow South or um, the the kind of culmination to the great civil rights movements of the 1960s and the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and so forth, not something that was relevant in the present. And, um, and, and so I, that began a journey for me, I think, of conversations with other African-American friends and leaders and, and people that I, that I trusted. Um, and I think um, it, it has been eye-opening to me, to be honest, in having some of these conversations at how across age lines and across gender lines, um, rich or poor socioeconomic stat, uh, stat, statuses, African Americans, as as they uh, as they answer the question and discuss racism, pretty unilaterally experience a different experience than what non-black people experience in this country. And so, um, I, I just you know had a couple of open-ended questions and, and Darrell for you to just kind of uh, share your heart a little bit on this issue. Um, how let's just kind of open up the conversation since, you know, since May, obviously that's been a kind of a big event in, you know, the mainstream conversation of race within and outside the church. Um, where have you been and, and how, how has the last couple of months um, 
impacted uh, your, your life in the last couple of, of, of months in this last summer season? <laughs> well, um, I will say that um, I feel like I'm just trying to find the right words to say um, and not steer this in a, in a different direction. I don't know. I, I think it's been as difficult as it's, as it's always been. Um, there's always been plight. There's always been distractions. There's always been struggle. And sometimes when other people see the struggle, it may be new to them. It may be new to like one group of people or one side, but a lot of these things, it's been the same thing for a while. And so you just kind of try to navigate as a Christian, as a black, just as best as you possibly can mm. and, and steer, steer the course and, and try to remain faithful and, and devoted in God, but also not losing out on, on um, uh, opportunities for change. Mm. It's constant. It's long. It's um, tiresome, um, but as far as anything, as far as anything new, um, no, it's been for for me, and I feel like a lot of other people who look like me, and people who have been fighting for people who look like me, it's kind of it's kind of been the same. It's it always has mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, the the way that um, I think that really it's been the last. Um, 10 years or so since the invention, you know, of, of the smartphone where we are uh, carrying little cameras around in our pockets all the time, we are experiencing a different uh, viewpoint. Um, I think, you know, you'll listen to old, whether it be Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor jokes, you know, in the past, um, you, you would hear, um, you know, um, conversations about race maybe said in, in jest or in hyperbole, and you would think that those were extremes. Um, it seems that the videos that continued to be captured, um, you know, and then shared over this technology and over, over the World Wide Web has brought up a new, a different kind of conversation where we're not only listening to ear, ear witnesses, right, just hearing people's stories, but we're actually seeing eyewitness accounts. We're actually having to wrestle with the images ourselves, which don't tell the entire picture, but certainly show a, a different picture than um, many of us would have imagined or many of us, let's say, in the non-black community would have um, been privy to see in most cases. And so, especially in this last video, I think what struck me, and I don't know how it struck you, is that what you have is, is just a long, like a, like a, like a painstaking um, evil uh, eight and a half minutes of, of footage. Um, of course, referring to George Floyd, and I have all the, you know, I've, there's so many names, whether it's Breonna Taylor, or Atiana Jefferson, R. Ross, or Stephen Clark, Botham Jean, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, you know, uh, Michelle Casso, just dozens and dozens of these names, which are, are um, a larger narrative that we saw typified, I suppose, um, is the way to say it, in that eight-minute video. And it, it, in, in what we saw was not just um, kind of an unfiltered moment of passion, but what seemed to be a long, kind of unrelenting um, and, and, yeah, just, I don't know what else to say, but evil expression of broken humanity. And, um, and to me, um, Darrell, that, that seems to be... Um, for me and the people that I know, the thing that is 
capturing all, all, of, all of our attention and really bringing up a larger conversation um, about the experience of um, somebody who is African-American and somebody that is not in America today. Um, and so uh, there is a larger conversation just about the day-to-day. I mean, not everything is about being pulled over and not everything is about having confrontation uh, with uh, civil authorities. But, um, you know, I did ask as we got ready for this talk to, to maybe think of a few um, ways that, you know, what we're talking about, which is, you know, isolated instances that, that seem, you know what I mean, um, potentially only at one level of society, uh, is really bringing up a conversation about a larger experience from the social side or from the cultural side. Um, it, what, what came to mind when I was asking the question earlier as far as how um, a non-black person might be surprised at the day-to-day you know, kind of experience of a person of color in this country, uh, what came to mind for you in that question? Um, well, obviously, when you're talking about how video just kind of releases, video just gives, you know, Uh, a different perspective that you didn't have before. And so I think how now everything is super social, so now you have the opportunity to see things, Um, but the reality is things have been happening. You just haven't had the opportunity to see things as much. And so now it's kind of like a, okay, well, good. Well, at least now people can can see exactly what's happening and you know, the, the theory of, you know, crying wolf or it's not as bad as you say or you can, you can, you can see things now. And so, um, yeah, I, I um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like uh, obviously as we think about race and we're going to get into Ephesians 2 in a moment, there's lots of different races and racism isn't, you know, only as old as the United States, racism is as old as humanity. As long as there's differences among us, we're always looking for ways to categorize, we might promote ourselves or justify ourselves, uh, you know, against one another. But certainly in this country, um, this this clearly um, is um, the most prevalent and deep and and wide, um, you know, racial um, uh, brokenness that we have experienced in our country, and, and therefore sometimes all too often. You know, in our churches, a couple, you know, of these statistics, you know, between uh, currently between whites and blacks in our country today, um, whereas, you know, for example, this is a few of these, but, but whereas um, the, the life expectancy um, for an African-American in this country, uh, African-American male is 69, the, the life expectancy of a white male in this country um, is six years longer than that at 75. Um, a, a startling statistic about African-American life in our country today is that um, in the last uh, couple decades that the suicide um, uh, rates for African-Americans has, has gone up 100% um, in the last few decades in our country. Uh, in some cities, the dropout rates for African-American males is 50%. Um, African-American males are twice as likely to be unemployed in our country as white males. Uh, 13% of the population is African-American, but 44% of our judicial system, our prisons, um, are populated by African-Americans. Um, one-fourth, 25% of all young African-American males will spend time through the judicial system, whether being indicted, arrested, or, and, and so forth. Um, uh, <clears throat> by their 30, 6 in 10 African-Americans uh, will be, uh, high, high, or 6 out of 10 high school dropouts that are African-Americans will end up in the judicial system, and one-third of, thir- one of all homeless people 
um, currently in our country today um, are African American. And, and so the, the experience um, of races, you know, whether it's Asian or Italian or German or whatever, um, is different. And we are made up of many different uh, colors and, and creeds within our country as, as kind of a melting pot, but certainly as, as a set apart um, you know, statistic and experience, the African-American story has been one of, um, of hardship, you know, and, and many, many um, obstacles. Um, do you have any thoughts to that before we jump into the scripture? <laughs> Go for it. This is your time. Share, please share. Um, yeah, I mean, everything, everything uh, seems accurate. I would, because I just, I don't want to, I just don't want to steer the conversation away from um, from other questions that you may have because I feel like all of my responses can kind of easily be jumbled up into one um, big, I think, story or, or testimony or, or perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say it's um, having these kind of conversations is very much needed and very much appreciated because even still, even with some video, um, people still don't seem to get it. People still don't seem to, to understand um, the need for allies, the need for compassion, the need for um, t- to bring God into the lives of people who don't, um, in terms of race relation, things like that. So, I mean, I'm sure it'll all tie, tie back together, but I think this is a, a great conversation that we very much need to have. Yeah, let me read the passage today because I think it speaks for all times and all people, but specifically in this instance, I cannot think of a more kind of watershed scripture uh, that helps us understand what the gospel would say about this particular issue, those particular videos, these particular statistics that were shared earlier. Uh, But verse 11 in Ephesians 2 says, Therefore remember formerly you who are Gentiles by birth were called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, and that done in the body of uh, by the hands of men. Verse 12 says, remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near um, by the blood of Christ. Uh, What pops out to me in this scripture um, is that no matter where we are or um, who we run with or what the societal structures are, uh, we as people, just as people, not as white, black, Asian, brown, or whatever, um, uh, are people that, like, that, that uh, naturally incline to categorize. Uh, if you look at this verse here in verse 11, uh, this, in this sense, there is hostility within this new church that Paul was trying to create um, with uh, many different types of socioeconomic backgrounds and races, uh, the, the Gentiles and the Jews were divided, in the, and it was because the Jews were categorizing the Gentiles by calling them, quote, the uncircumcised. And so um, these categories, uh, whether it is that we create categories based on class or your dialect or the way that you speak or, or your skin tone, whether it's lighter or darker, um, these categories are, are not just skin deep. They're, they're innate kind of in the human experience. The desire to categorize, you know, uh, is in some part just about organization. There's so many things that go on in our life, and uh, I think just inherently we're trying to keep ourselves safe, and we're trying to understand our world, and so in many ways stereotypes and stereotyping um, people groups is an easy way for us to create easy classifications. We're constantly trying to make sense in order of our world, and so it's something that we will naturally do. Um, But also, 
uh, it's a way to promote ourselves. Um, I know that, for example, my, my sweet daughter, uh, Rose, goes to Langston Middle School. And uh, when she was a sixth grader, she hates when I talk about her on Sunday mornings. Uh, give her a hand back there for running the uh, YouTube channel. My daughter Rose um, hated being in sixth grade because she said that the seventh graders picked on her. But as soon as she became a seventh grader, uh, she realized that it was a lot easier to pick on sixth graders uh, than she thought. They call the sixth graders children. Uh, when you're in seventh grade, apparently you're more uh, sophisticated. You can call the sixth graders children or babies. And so she was a child in sixth grade, but when she grew up in seventh grade, she became a full-grown adult, I suppose, and started calling the sixth graders children. And this is the way that we are. It's just, it's just easier and better for us to create categories for ourselves so that we might promote ourselves you know, against one another. Uh, and so the note that I wrote down is that racism is deeper than skin. It's actually um, in the heart, and we see it all throughout history. Uh, if you look down at the genetic codes, we're only really about 0.05 difference in our uh, DNA and our makeup, but yet we find vast reasons to categorize each other um, and use those uh, classes to try and promote or justify ourselves. And so what's ironic is that the Jews were supposed to be the circumcised people because they were blessed to bless others, but instead of blessing others, they believed their blessing was to be better than others, and so they called themselves the circumcised that was better than the uncircumcised. Verse 12, remember that at the time when you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise. Um, and so it is that... Uh, that, that Ephesians um, is writing to these uh, Gentile people who used to be the outsiders made fun of by the insiders have now become insiders to promote themselves and divide themselves by outsiders. This is the tendency of race and classification to use my category to promote myself above yours. But this is what the good news of Christ is in verse 13. This is what the gospel might have to say about race, race then and race now. But now in Christ Jesus, you, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In other words, the passage is making an argument. It's making a very important claim. It's saying that, um, that Jesus uh, uh, didn't have arbitrary differences between man and God. He was the one that had significant differences. He uh, was perfect, whereas man was not. He was eternal, whereas man separate from God was not. And if anyone had the um, right to be, uh, to be superior, if anyone had the right to be separate, or if anyone had the right to be separate, uh, from someone else, it would have been God. And so the claim is here is that we're going to move on and see the argument develop that if, if the cross of Christ uh, can handle the separation between heaven and hell, if the power of Christ can handle the separation between heaven and hell, how much more can it handle the separation between white and black? How much more can it handle the separation between classes and castes and systems. This is the takeaway that I would love for us to meditate on today, but the gospel is the good news that he's changing all things through repenting and believing in him. And the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose, that he ascended, that he put his spirit in us, is not just the power to reconcile man and God, but the power to reconcile man and man. It is not just the power to reconcile a man, you know, humanity that was separate from God, it's the power, it's the power, it's the power to reconcile um, man as it's separated and hostile towards um, one another. Let me pause right there. Any, anything pop out to you in terms of that passage as we read along? I mean, when it just talks about um, being, um, it, talks, it talks about oneness. Like, I see, I see oneness that we are all supposed to be one together um, because we're one in God. We're one in, in Christ. And... I think that just gets difficult, um, though, like when you say 
that sometimes there are situations where certain people are elevated or some, certain people are demoted in different kinds of ways. When we don't see, um, when we don't see Christ, when we don't see God, when we don't see the unity, when we only see ourselves as exalted mm. in some kind of way, I think that just continues the division that has already been set in place. And so, I mean, being a byproduct of, you know, the consequences of that, yeah, that's, that's just really unfortunate. And I think um, we have to figure out ways how to check ourselves and to figure out how practically to, to bring God in the equation um, mm. constantly and to bring unity into the equation constantly. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, it seems that Paul would follow your line of thought in his thinking um, that uh, that just the um, overcoming of the brokenness between brothers and sisters um, is not just the goal, just to have peace between neighbors, but to build a family, to build something new in terms of oneness between all nations and all, all tribes and tongues that would turn to him. Verse 14 says it this way, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier of the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law and its commands and regulations. So in other words, the way that we might perceive this is as Jesus is going up Calvary and, and coming to the cross, he's not only thinking, as we were speaking about a moment ago, um, eradicating um, and, and giving an opportunity to, um, for, for his bride to trust in him and eradicate you know, um, hell from the equation for people that would trust and believe in him. Uh, that he would, he would create reconciliation between God and man. But also, you know, he is thinking about on Calvary, the wall of hostility that he has the power to break down. And so when we think of things in our history books like the years of slavery and Jim Crow and the KKK um, and um, the violence uh, and antagonism towards the civil rights movement, um, ongoing modern, you know, redlining, uh, police brutality as we've discussed it, um, he didn't just have uh, eradication and breaking down of... Um, uh, of, of the destiny of hell for individuals, but also for, um, he also had the wall of hostility that he had come to break down as a dividing wall between man and man. And so this is what he says is his goal in the next verse in verse 16. His purpose was to create in himself one hum new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both them to God and through the, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who were far and peace to those who were near. For through him, uh, we both have access to the Father um, through the Spirit. And so to tag off of what you were mentioning earlier, Jarrell, um, I think you're exactly right that the gospel is the beginning, it's the foundation, and then beyond that, um, there is a complete identity shift. I mean, that word new when it says he came to make one new humanity, it's not just like, it's less like the word that would say like the new Honda Pilot. It'd be more like saying the Model T. It's just a completely new function. It's a completely new creation that's being created. And that would be the only pathway forward for a multi-ethnic um, family gathered around um, the identity of, of Jesus. And so I love the way that um, a preacher that I heard this week talked about um, adjectives and nouns, uh, he says, uh, sometimes we make um, our race the noun and we make Christian the ag adjective. For example, it'd be like me saying, you know, um, I am a Christian Chinese person. 
uh, and, and fundamentally what Ephesians is saying is that in Christ, I'm not a Christian Chinese person, I'm a Chinese Christian person, um, as, as a fact that, that who I, you know, what I'm like uh, is, is modified by who I am and not vice versa, that my Christianness um, is heavier in who I am than my Chineseness or my Southernness or my Americanness or whatever else-ness that I am. My Christianness, my Jesusness in Christ needs to be more important uh, than any other ethnic or racial or, um, you know, whatever classification or distinction that I have. And so, um, speaking of the, the John Piper book uh, that I mentioned earlier, one of the quotes that I, I remembered him talking about that struck me is that, you know, he's saying that um, we should be in Christ uh, more... Uh, more, more, you know, excited or celebratory about our, our family members, our brothers, our sisters, you know, in, in terms of our bloodline, more excited about them marrying a, like a Pakistani or somebody from another country, Christian, than a, like a white middle class or same race, homogenous middle class person that's an atheist. Uh, because um, our Christianness should be more important than any other category that we um, have. So let's talk a little bit more on the practical side, as you were talking about. Um, what do you think are some of the major uh, barriers or maybe obstacles, do you think, to seeing some of the, the writings of this, of the gospel, you know, here in Ephesians 2, and, and how that might actually live its way out into, into culture, into life, into church? Well, I think um, that one starts with awareness um, one starts with awareness, um, having the knowledge and wherewithal, what's going on outside of your personal, um, your personal house or your personal home. And so obviously, if you're only going through life with your own perspective, then you don't see somebody else's side, you don't see somebody else's struggling. And no, African Americans are not the only group that's struggling, there's other groups that are struggling and, and, and things like that. But I think bringing awareness to it I think channels it. And so for me, I, I feel like, I mean, one, as, as a Christian, I think having these conversations intentionally, um, I think they help because there are a lot of people, I mean, probably even in this room who are still like, I don't, I, I haven't seen the video. I don't know what you're, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I, and I think bring awareness constantly and being very intentional and in talking about it and having these discussions, um, is very good. Um, I think even the church, um, not just this church specifically, but all the churches, because we are called to be more in the kingdom. And so I think the church having the intentional hand and in saying, we see what's happening. Um, we're not blind to what's happening. We see exactly what's happening. And this is our efforts into, you know, increasing dialogue with people who may not exactly look like us to hear someone else's perspective. Because like I said, if you're only in your own box, in your own world, you don't see when somebody says something like Black Lives Matter, immediately it's like a, what are you talking about? All lives matter. And it's like, yes, obviously all lives matter, but there's a specific issue that we're trying to address. And if you don't try to see the other person's side, then the only side you constantly be on is, well, I, I don't agree with what you're doing, and so your plight doesn't really seem as, um, I guess, worthy to help because I'm not trying to see the other side of it. You guys get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and so 
so conversation. Yeah. I think conversation is key. And I think intentional conversation. I think it's not enough to just say, I saw it, but that me and my son are cool. Like, me and my family, we're, we're fine. That's not really helping. That's somebody else's issue. I think intentionally having conversation, you can have a conversation with your son and your daughter. You can have a conversation with the people in your household. You can have conversations with your racist uncles and very difficult conversations, obviously. But I think I was talking to somebody else um, uh, um, a couple weeks ago about this, and... <laughs> It was, a beautiful, it was a beautiful thought. It was, I think some people are scared to what they're going to have to give up. I think some people are scared to what they're going to have to give up in order to, to help the cause. Like, what would I have to sacrifice in order to make this better for you? And for me, it just kind of was like, wow. I mean, there's, there's a lot of us. Um, that are kind of stuck in that way. Like, yeah, you see somebody struggling. You see somebody who needs help. I would like to help, or I would, you know, I'd rather you help. I'll, I'll pray, and then you can, you can go do the dirty work. Mm. Um, but what would I actually, what does that look like for me to actually have to give up? What do I have to say? Do I have to be someone to actually protest in the street? Do I have to be someone to talk to my racist uncle? I don't want to talk to him. Do I have to be someone to, to raise my kids or, or to specifically have these hard conversations with my children about race? Um, I don't know all the answers, and I'm not going to pretend like I speak for all you know, people who look like me. I am a byproduct of all the things that have happened, and so in, in a representative. But I think conversation, 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 intentional conversation is a start. Mm. Yeah, there's actually a um, kind of eye-opening little moment in the book of Galatians and in Acts where, like, it talks about Paul has to, like, lay the smack down on Peter, if you've ever seen this before. Peter's, like, having lunch with the, with the Gentiles, and then these Jewish people come around, and that was, again, the whole, like, division there was between Jew and Gentiles, and it was like, you shouldn't eat with that group, or that group is not clean, and that group isn't part of us, part of the new family that's being created. They're all Christian there, but, you know, they were still trying to classism. There's still categories that were still there. And Paul has to confront him. It says in Galatians, he confronted him to his face. <laughs> uh, didn't sidesweep him. And, um, and I think it just goes to say, like, if you have an entrenched, you know, dark, you know, which is ultimately spiritual problem that gets ingrained into social and emotional and just layers and layers of dysfunction, there's going to be confrontation in it. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's things like when you do church planning and books and stuff, and they'll say, like, well, you know, you should look out of your church, and your church should sort of rec represent kind of the demographic of the area that you're in. And I think I'd kind of thought about it that way and adopted that frame of, of thinking, like this, the health of a church should represent, you know, the demographic of the zip code that you're in. Um, but then you start thinking about the way that zip codes are set up in the world, and you're just like, I'm not really sure that the church should get divided up by zip codes. Like, like maybe it means, if, if Jesus is saying, I'm reconciling, he he you know, heaven to earth by getting, by leaving my home, maybe that means that I've got to Leave, leave Simpsonville sometimes <laughs> to, to go out of my way to, to make relationships. And I just think, yeah, that's one of, as you spoke and led into it earlier, one of my kind of takeaways is, look, like, I just don't think it happens on accident. And um, I think there is, you know, concerted, um, you know, not, not aggressive or, or in your face or, or just like looking for, um, for conflict for conflict's sake. But like, as you spoke to, if we're going to go ahead and, you know, create a multiracial um, relationships, you know, 
we're going to probably have to, it's not a very efficient way to connect with people. It's easier to connect with people that speak the same language as me. It's easier, easier to connect with people that have the same offenses and backgrounds and, you know, history as me and, and, and preferences. Like, for there to be diversity and unity in the church to the way that Paul is suggesting Jesus died for, it would mean I'd have to go out of my way. It would mean I have to be intentional to go and pursue those relationships. And so I think my, in some ways, even in the last couple months, my attitude has changed. I just think, you know, the kind of as-you-go approach might not be enough. Like, if we're going to have to, if we're trying to breach the barrier, it might have to be a concerted, like, I'm staying at the lunch table and going to somebody else's lunch table because Jesus died for something way more diverse and not homogenous than this, something more unified and something more diverse than what we see sometimes on Sunday mornings. Thoughts? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do. I, I think that we have, we have that mindset a lot of times where it's just like, it'll eventually happen. It was a thought once upon a time, like just stop talking about racism. It would eventually go away. And, you know, we know, ha, 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 not the case. Um, yeah. I think intentionally, like you said, it will be uncomfortable. I think it, anything that you're doing that invokes change, change is generally uncomfortable. But it's, if it's for the kingdom, and if you are for the kingdom, um, I think like you said, having those conversations or having those convictions and seeing what God is telling you to do, what he's probably been telling you to do for a long time. Um, I think walking in those practical steps, I think it's necessary. I don't think it's going to be comfortable, but I think it's necessary. I'm going to run my list here, Jarrell, of just all of, because we we're talking about practicals, because um, we're, and we're running a little bit short on time. I'm going to run this list, and as you listen, just interrupt if okay. you hear anything or if you, if you wanted to share anything that um, connects with some of these thoughts. Um, so, you know, we, it's been a season of listening, and I think it's been a time to try and listen to people that sound different than us. And uh, one of the things that I've heard has been so important is, in a lot of ways, uh, there, there isn't so much, um, well, the, the heart and soul of moving forward at this point in the game um, is really more, less about fixing and changing and more about listening and more about just caring. In many ways, I've heard um, from uh, the African-American community and some of my um, black friends that it's, you know, in some ways May has, what happened in May and what's been going on in the country feels like a mourning process. And so you have to think through the lens when if somebody were to die or something were to happen to a friend of yours, you wouldn't just go and start trying to fix all the problems. You would go in and just listen and care uh, was one of the things. Um, I think that uh, in terms of, um, in, in terms of, um, yeah, inside, inside the church, um, I think that deeper than the, than the race issue, I think the gospel conversation just asks us as we deal with um, the relationships that we have, the responsibilities that we have, the levels of authority and power that we have, as we consider people then different, different from us, do we find any of these non-gospel words in our heart? Non-gospel words could include, but not limited to, fear. You know, am I confronting that? Do I have any fear towards people that look or sound differently than me? If so, Why? Gospel and fear do not coexist. Do I have hate in any way? Do I have apathy? Do I have apathy in any way? It's like not my problem. If that's in my heart in any way, why is that there? Some of these are reflective things. They're deeper than skin or analyzing, you know, which friends I have. But in the heart, like what is my heart towards the thing? Do I have a sense of hopelessness? Did Jesus die for me to have the spirit in me that I would have hopelessness? Would I have a feeling of inadequacy towards the problem or powerlessness if, if, I, if I believe the gospel, if I believe Jesus was inside of me, would I have a sense of inferiority towards others? Would I have 
the feeling of shame um, or eternal guilt. Some of these things um, the gospel would confront internally. Um, uh, lastly, um, I thought about um, the, just, just outside the church and not just inside the church because I think at the end of the day, those two categories need to be um, identified. At the end of the day, Jesus comes back. If you've read the end of the story in the gospel, he does return with a sword in his mouth and he's gonna correct all the wrongs. There will be wrongs when Jesus comes back. And some of the things uh, of injustice in the world will not be solved. That doesn't mean we don't stand for justice, but it, it just means that we can't bring about justice on our own. Only Jesus can bring justice. But what we can do within the church is represent it and represent it to its fullest you know, capacity. So um, a couple of thoughts when we think about justice, not just in the church, but in the world. Um, uh, first and foremost, the thought that came to mind in this study was just the fact that um, throughout this Bible, uh, we are individuals who individually follow Jesus, but we are part of a corporate and collective story. And so whether it comes down to um, the systemic sin of, of, of Babylon or Assyria or, um, or the city of Cain early on in the Bible, um, our individual choices have corporate um, implications. You know, and so the idea here is to think through in terms of the world how to represent justice at a time when in our nation we have more authority and more um, freedom and more political power than probably any of the people that were ever reading this Bible before us. And the question becomes, what do we do with that authority um, and power? And so, um, yeah, I think that in terms of, you know, in the nation and in our country, I think there are corporate implications and systemic um, you know, sometimes solutions uh, that are need to be pursued by the church, not just individual, you know, heart-to-hearts. Uh, Darrell, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yes, I think if I would conclude anything that I, I would be saying, I think that it, it, I would definitely say that it does start with the church. It starts, it can start as an individual, but also as a um, church, as a body, um, to physically to understand that you're called to do something about it and, and make the intentions to actually physically um, to do it, to, to go forth, to, to, to listen, and, and to actually do something. I think there are very much practical ways on how to do it, but I think if we're just stuck in like, no, um, I don't feel like that's my calling. I don't feel like that's the... Being open to being used by God as such a time as this, I think is crucial. I think it starts with the church. Such a long conversation and a lot that could and should be shared maybe potentially in the future in ongoing yes. conversations. One of the goals was just to get the, the, the conversation, you know, it, it in some part started um, here as far as the corporate gathering here at the church. But um, I'm going to ask Timothy to come up as, as we kind of respond in worship. Um, but, um, yeah, the power of the gospel uh, matters so much to this topic. And, uh, and I think in many ways... Um, what, it, what it speaks to us is when we experience, um, you know, differences, when we, experiences, when we experience hostility, when we experience trouble, uh, when it comes to the human categories, as Paul talks about it in our life, um, in many ways, I believe the gospel invites us to see that hostility and that division um, as what God experienced with us. And I think that the way that um, the gospel eradicates uh, many problems, not the least of these, is, is racism, is by realizing that the hostility that, he, that we feel sometimes towards um, one another and our brokenness, uh, that hostility was first felt by him. And that hostility um, was not returned with hostility, but it was returned with peace.
And it says in the scripture that he set aside his rules and his regulation in his flesh and he saw those things crucified that in exchange for hostility, he gave peace. And so as hostility comes towards us, as we experience the kind of impending hostility that happens when we meet people that are different than us, that we don't understand, that speak differently than us, and some of those non-gospel kind of words begin to emerge, whether it be fear or anger, uh, whether it be um, strife or jealousy or discord, we just know that in some part, the gospel came to crucify those things in us. And that the fruit of, those th- the fruit of that uh, gospel would make us a salty and bright culture, that we would look different, that the statistics in the church would be different from outside the church, and that we would be made salty by the gospel, that where there was hostility because of the cross, the power of the resurrected Jesus would create peace, peace in one new family that's created supernaturally by him. Um, Let me just pray for us as we kind of respond um, in worship this morning. But Jesus, I'm thankful for uh, just the grace in this room, uh, the unity that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And as you've called people here, uh, I just know that, you know, we're all on our different journeys and all listening in different ways and and sharing, in this case, from Darrell's um, story. Um, But I just thank you for grace. And it only comes from you. And I pray that we would not, uh, we would increasingly become um, a culture that's based on grace and not on race. A culture that is defined by because he loved me, not because of what, what money I make or what car I drive. A culture that's defined by because he forgave me, not because of, um, you know, what, what somebody called me or what name or slur or whatever category society wants to put me. No, because he forgave me, because he loved me, so I will live. So I will experience uh, oneness and family because I was far, he drew near to me and that that would become the culture and the ethnicity of um, this church and the big C church at large. And so I thank you, God, for grace. Thank you for, um, I just know many, many leaders that I admire that have um, stood up and and leveraged this moment to preach the gospel uh, clearly and bravely. Um, I thank you for um, many, many uh, leaders that through their lives, instead of uh, giving hostility and returning um, an eye for an eye, have turned to the gospel and have given peace where there was hostility and reconciliation where there was brokenness. And, uh, and so I just ask for your kingdom to come. I ask that your gospel would saturate our lives and that we would become um, less and less tolerant of um, of of the injustices and the pride and the bitterness in our own hearts and homes that we might turn and be healed. Um, And so we just ask for your grace and for your mercy and for your peace. And um, lastly, I'm thankful for my friend Darrell who has just come to share his heart and share his life. And um, I thank you for the years that he's been here at City Lights. And I do believe in some part he's been called to tell a different kind of a story. And I'm thankful for a gospel story not just a human one. And I'm thankful for Darrell's being here in part to help us see that story, to tell that story. And so may you just multiply racial reconciliation and bring peace where there is continued hostility. I thank you that you died, that you broke that barrier once and forever. And so just as you broke the power of all kinds of sin and all kinds of sickness, that you would have your way, Lord Jesus, and break break the power of, of, of racial prejudice and hate and bigotry in our church and in our world. And so we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said.
Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.